If we were lucky, we all had a parent or grandparent who dispensed wise advice when we were kids. For me, one such person was my father. His advice? Slow down. These words were customized just for me, and I heard them a lot, often to my frustration. As I was learning to drive in our old 86 Ford pickup, slow down. As I was working on a wood project out in the yard or in the garage, slow down. Even when I was playing, slow down. It was usually good advice because I typically ended up hurting myself somehow. Slow down. These words are etched into my brain. And when I think of my father, these are the words I'll always think about most often. Slow down. What my father was trying to tell me was to take note of my surroundings and incorporate my life experiences. What was happening? What had I been taught? What skills had I acquired? And what lessons had I learned? Slow down. In other words, my father was asking me to cultivate a watchfulness of my conduct and motivations. If we are to be servant leaders, this advice is the second step on our journey. The bottom line, after increasing our biblical literacy, it's time to slow down and cultivate a watchfulness of what Scripture is teaching us about leadership and living. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome to The Way Podcast. This is Father Dustin. Last week, we started a series on leadership. What does it look like to lead as a Christian? And I'm depending on the work done by Deacon Sean Reed on the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. And I highly encourage you to go to the website if you would like to learn more. And I'll put a link uh, below in the comments. The model that they promote is one called Thulos Leadership. Thulos is the Greek word for servant. And so he has done some of this leadership training with my parish, and I've decided to explore the different steps that he's given us. So the first step in becoming a servant leader, or a Christian leader, one who leads in imitation of Christ, who we see washing the disciples' feet and going to the cross to die for our sins, that first step is the Bible. We have to know the Bible, and that's what I talked about last week. So if the Bible is our foundation, then as we read and learn, we have to learn to listen carefully for God's voice. What is He telling us? How is He guiding us to live? And what example is He showing us for leadership? Perhaps one of my most favorite stories in Scripture when I was a child was a story of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. He was the prophet who anointed the first king of Israel, Saul, and then later anointed the second king, David. And so Samuel was a very famous prophet. And the story is told about him in 1 Samuel 3. This is a story of Samuel as a kid. Now Samuel's mother had sent him to the temple to be raised by the priests. And the high priest at that time was a man by the name of Eli. 
and he was going blind. And he depended on Samuel for a lot of things. You see, his own children were pretty corrupt. They had done a lot of bad things. So the story begins with Samuel as a young man at bedtime. This may sound strange to us, but Samuel slept within the tabernacle complex. The tabernacle, you recall, was the tent that preceded the temple. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was where the sacrifices were made. It was where the priests performed all their duties. And it wasn't uncommon for the priests who were performing the duties to sleep there in the vicinity of the tabernacle. And Samuel was one of them. Well, one night, as he was going to bed and trying to fall asleep, he heard a voice calling out to him, saying, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel got up. He ran to Eli and said, Eli, what do you want? I heard you calling me. And Eli said, you must be crazy. I wasn't calling you. Go back to bed. So he went back to bed, and as he lay there in the dark, the voice came back, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel got up, thinking again it was Eli, and ran to him and said, Eli, here I am. What do you want? And Eli said, go back to bed. I'm not calling you. So he went back to bed, and a third time he heard the voice, Samuel, Samuel. So a third time he ran to Eli and asked him what he wanted. And again, Eli said, I wasn't calling you. But then Eli got to thinking, And he tells Samuel this. He says, the next time you hear that voice calling your name, say, here I am, Lord. What do you want? So Samuel went back to bed, and a fourth time he heard the voice, Samuel, Samuel. This time, instead of running to Eli, Samuel cried out, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? And so it was, in the end, it was the Lord speaking to Samuel. He had a prophecy for Eli, and he wanted to send it through Samuel, who was just a young boy at the time. Now, the prophecy ended up being very bad for Eli. God told Samuel that he was going to punish Eli's sons, who had been very corrupt and bad. And the next morning, when Eli asked Samuel, what did the Lord want? Samuel was a little hesitant. He didn't want to tell Eli what was going on, and Eli eventually forced Samuel to tell him what was up. Samuel says, God's going to punish your family because of the corruption of your sons. And Eli's response was, so be it. May God's will be done. I don't know if we'd all have the strength to say that, but Eli set an example for us. But the moral of the story is that Samuel had to learn to discern the voice of God calling out to him. Now, I doubt any of us have God calling us um, at bedtime as we lay in bed trying to fall asleep. But God does speak to us through Scripture. He gives us His commandments and His statutes, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. We have the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. We have all the parables and the instruction that Paul gives his churches. So God still speaks to us today, and He does so through the Bible which is why we have to have the Bible as our foundation. But we have to learn to be like Samuel, to hear what God is telling us. Even if it's not good news, even if we don't like the message, we still have to be able to discern what God is saying. Just like Samuel had to learn that the voice calling out to him was not Eli's, but God's. 
Now, it may not always be easy to hear what God is calling us to do, because often he's calling us to repentance, and that's no fun. But when we learn to cultivate this watchfulness, then we see God's guidance, and that allows us to act on it. When we do, then our lives are transformed. And this is what we see in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 18, a young man comes to Jesus, and he says, What must I do to inherit life in the age to come? And Jesus basically says, Don't you know the law of Moses? Don't you know the Ten Commandments? And the man says, Yes, of course I do. I followed them all since I was a young, a young man. And Jesus says, There is only one thing left for you to do. Sell all that you have and follow me. Now this young man heard God's voice, but he wasn't able to put it into action. There was something wrong with his discernment. He was unwilling to listen and act upon God's voice. In the very next chapter, in Luke 19, we have another gentleman who is able to hear God's voice and act upon it. This is Zacchaeus. Now we all know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and tax collectors were hated people of their time. They were cheating their own folks in order to get rich. The way taxes worked is that they had to collect so much for the Roman Empire, but it was very common for them to increase that amount and keep the difference, and that was how they got paid. And so Zacchaeus was one of these tax collectors. He was working for the Romans, who were oppressing the Galileans and the Judeans. And as he collected his taxes, he added on a little bit to fill his pockets. And so he wasn't a very popular man. But one day Jesus comes to town and Zacchaeus wants to see him. So as we all know, he was a short man and climbed up into that sycamore tree. And as Jesus comes along, he stops, looks up, points to Zacchaeus and says, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus says, what are you talking about? I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus hears God in that moment. He's able to cultivate watchfulness of conduct and motivations. And he realizes that God is calling him to be something different than who he is. And so right there on the spot, With Jesus saying that he's coming to his house, Zacchaeus decides to repay everyone that he has defrauded, and even more. That's what it means to cultivate watchfulness of conduct and motivations. It's like Zacchaeus responding to Jesus saying he's coming to his house today. And that's what we are called to do as we build our foundation on Scripture. Now, there are many ways for us to be like Zacchaeus, cultivating watchfulness of our conduct and motivations, making sure we're staying faithful and loyal to what God is calling us to do. And one way we can begin to practice this watchfulness is through confession. Confession, obviously, is a sacrament within the Orthodox Church. And oftentimes we think about it as almost a punishment. It's something that makes us uncomfortable. No one wants to go and confess all of our faults. Now, many of us may be embarrassed to confess our sins before a priest, but I think we're more embarrassed to admit to ourselves that we're failures. 
We're afraid to admit to ourselves where we've come up short of our own expectations of who we think we are. But it's also a means of healing. In order to be able to confess our sins, and in order to truly repent, which means to change our heart, to do something different than what we've been doing, in order to do that, we have to be able to discern what Scripture is telling us. We have to be able to walk the way using Scripture as our roadmap. And confession is a tool that we have, a tool that keeps us accountable, but a tool that also allows us to think about how we're living our lives and to discern if we're on the way or not. Now, probably the most famous king in all of Scripture is King David. And he had to learn the lesson the hard way. Even though his name means beloved, in this particular story, he's hardly the beloved. As we all know, David becomes the king after Saul. He starts off as one of the heroes of Scripture. As a young shepherd boy, he's the one that slew Goliath, just as a young shepherd boy. And eventually, after Saul dies, Saul commits suicide, David becomes the next king of Israel. But soon, he falls into some temptation. He's out one day, and he sees Bathsheba, a beautiful lady taking a bath. And he watches her, and he lusts after her. And so he calls one of his servants to bring her into his house, and he sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. He's now in a pickle. What does he do? Well, Bathsheba was a married woman, and her husband was one of David's best friends, Uriah, who is a Hittite. So David schemes and comes up with this plan to have Uriah killed. It takes a little bit of work, but eventually David is able to send Uriah to the front of the battle lines where he's killed. And this allows him then to take Bathsheba as his wife. Now, obviously, this is not walking the way. This is not what Scripture tells us to do. In fact, there are laws against adultery. So now David, the beloved king, is in trouble. So Samuel has passed away at this point, so there's a new prophet, and his name is Nathan. So Nathan comes to David, and he wants David to confess his sins. And he has a very ingenious way of doing that. This is a way of forcing David to discern Scripture. This is a way of forcing him to cultivate watchfulness of his own conduct and motivations. So Nathan goes to David and he tells him the story. He says there were two men. There was a rich man with a large flock of sheep. And then there was a poor man who had one sheep. And to this poor man, this one sheep, Nathan says, was like a child to him. He slept in his bed and was like one of the family. Well, one day, a traveler comes to the rich man. As we all know, hospitality is a big deal in the Middle East. And so the rich man wants to feed this traveler a nice meal. But instead of slaughtering one of his own sheep, and remember, he was rich, he had a whole flock of sheep, he takes that one sheep from the poor man. He steals it, slaughters it, and feeds it to the traveler. Now, of course, when Nathan finishes telling the story, David is irate. He says, I'm going to kill that man. 
the man who stole the sheep from the poor man. How dare he? That wasn't his sheep to steal. And then it clicked. David was that rich man who had stolen the poor man's sheep. David, as the king, in access to all the women of the realm, stole Uriah's wife. And so Nathan says, because you have done this, God's destruction will be upon you. But David repents and says that he was sorry for what he had done. And God forgives him. Now this first child of Bathsheba still died, and the second son was Solomon, whom we all know as the wise king. But the destruction that originally was promised was held back, because David had repented. So repentance, in this case, was a way of cultivating watchfulness of conduct and motivations. He's seen where he had gone wrong. As baptized believers, we have all put on Christ. He is the coat that we put on to go outside into the desert to walk the way. This is a calling for all Christians, and it includes servant leadership. The first step on our journey is to grow in biblical literacy and accountability. And we spoke about that last week. The second step of our journey is to cultivate watchfulness of conduct and motivations. We have to become like Samuel, listening for God's voice in the night. We have to learn to slow down, as my father always said. And this is what allows us to stay on the path as we walk the way. Thank you for listening to The Way with Father Dustin. Uh, Next week, we will return with the second step of our journey in becoming servant leaders. God bless.